0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. you could just pause a moment and thank Him for the cross. Jesus, our hearts, our minds cannot fully comprehend the greatness of that would it cost you that we could be flawless blameless, holy and righteous in your eyes Father I ask you this morning remove the shame the guilt, the stain in our spirit souls, our conscious subconscious that we could just walk with you in sweet, deep intimacy intimacy Father, I pray this morning, do something special in our hearts and our lives. Take us to new levels of intimacy with you, Jesus. I pray and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever I watch that clip, it undoes me on the inside. Because it so beautifully projects and portrays the way God views us and sees that It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking And often we see the word kingdom And we just gloss over it And the word kingdom speaks of the king And his dominion, his rulership And that king is Jesus And he wants to have dominion in our lives and through our lives. He wants to have rulership and ownership and lordship over every facet of our lives. I do believe God this year wants to take us on a journey of greater surrender to him. I do believe that We can experience his kingdom when we come to the place of fully surrendered or yielded to him in greater measures and ways. Can I say, I do believe surrender will come either through pain or through the pleasure of yielding to him. You know, Jacob surrendered to God only when he wrestled and God dislocated his hip. I don't want to go down that road Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road, only when he was blinded did he come to the place of surrender. I want to say, Jesus, help me as you did in the Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. Let 2016 be a year of greater surrender to him. We're very familiar with Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus himself said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I believe as we put the king, his rulership, his ownership, his lordship first in our lives, and his righteousness, in other words, his way of doing things, everything else will fall into place. And as we begin to do that, 2016 can be a massive adventure in God. A mega adventure. But before we unpack the gift of righteousness, before we explore the profound and powerful truth, I just need to, for a moment, redirect your thoughts to a righteous God that you and I serve. The God we serve is a righteous God. His righteousness is interwoven with His holiness and with His justice. We look at a world that is prolifically unrighteous where there is injustice, where holiness is like, what is that? Can I say, I do believe God's going to be restoring that in and through a church that is surrendered to Him. There's some amazing scriptures concerning His righteousness, and I'm just wanting for you to be aware of them. In Psalm 97 verse 2, it says righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. You know, when you come to a place of worship, worship is worshiping God for who he is. Taking his attributes, his character, his nature, and worshiping him for who. When you begin to say, God, your foundation of your throne is righteousness and truth and justice. In Psalm 71 verse 19, it says, your righteousness reaches to the heavens. So from the foundations to the highest of heavens, there's righteousness there. The Bible says that his righteousness is everlasting. It's everlasting. God cannot be measured by any standard of righteousness because God himself sets the standard of righteousness in the person of his son, Jesus. When Peter got up at Pentecost and started preaching, he announced and declared boldly that Jesus was the holy and righteous one. I just love the way he made that statement. Jeremiah and Jeremiah 23, I think it's verse 6 or so, it speaks of Jesus being the righteous branch. And you and I, by faith, are grafted into that righteous branch to bring forth the fruits of righteousness, which is another facet of the gift of righteousness that I'll talk about a little bit later. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John writing... To the church, he says, if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, I need to lay that foundation, the reason being, you'll never appreciate the gift of righteousness until you recognize and realize by revelation, we serve a righteous God, and Jesus was righteous, because it was the righteous Son of God that took our unrighteousness To make us righteous. Now in Psalm 25 verse 8. It's not on the screen. The Bible says good and upright is the Lord. Who instructs sinners in his way. Good and upright is the Lord instructs us in his way. Now for us it's it's a vast topic. In fact just alone in the book of Romans. The word righteousness is mentioned 28 times. So we cannot go through each and every one of them, but I'm wanting to go through particularly Romans chapter 5. And if you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 from verse 12, I'm going to be reading. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Paul writing, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Sobering verse of scripture, a tragic scripture. Almost you feel the pain of God through the writings of Apostle Paul here. To me, it was like when, how many of you have seen where people line up dominoes and you just tap the first one and they all fall down right to the end? That's a picture. When Adam disobeyed God, the rest of humanity all fell like dominoes. When we're born into the world, the Bible says we're born sinners. But that's not the end of the story. I want to just take up in reading from verse 15. Time doesn't prevent us to read it all, but please read from verse 12 to 19 after lunch, and you can just enjoy that portion. But in verse 15, it says, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of that one man, how much more? I put that phrase underlined and highlighted in my Bible. How much more? Did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many overflow to the many I just love it verse 17 for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man how much more again that phrase how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life by Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ profound portion of scripture of how jesus reversed what the first adam caused destruction and death and for us to realize from adam death reigned but because of jesus obedience we can reign in life through righteousness what does righteousness look like for us to me righteousness picks us up and reconnects us back to the father we talk about sin and the fall But righteousness picks us up and reconnects us back to the Father. The Bible says how we were sinners, we'd fallen, but through him, he raised us up together in Christ Jesus. The second thing is righteousness. God does not count our sins against us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Satan, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that's pointing that accusing finger of your past sin and failure, your present sin and failure. And he says, do you think you're going to overcome this in the future? Even he points an accusing finger into your future. You need to say, humanly I cannot. But the greater one lives in me, and he's going to help me overcome. God does not count our sin against us. And if I could just say this, we ought not to count our sins against one another how many husbands and wives you get into a fight what's the first thing you do you pull out ammo from your last fight where you (laughs) won that's counting sin against one another or in relationships or friendships can I say if God doesn't count our sin against us we ought not to count them against one another righteousness means we've been brought back into right standing with God In 1 Peter 3 verse 18 it says Christ died for our sins once and for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us back to God. I want to read it again because it's so profound and powerful. Christ died for our sins once and for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us back to God. So we can stand before God faultless without sin blameless and holy. In 1 Peter I think it's 3.12 it speaks of, or 18, it speaks of the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. So knowing you're right, standing with God, you have heaven's attention. Righteousness also gives us access to God. Knowing that we are righteous, we don't have to book time with God. We don't have to diarize time with Him. We have 24-7 access to commune and enjoy that relationship with God. He makes provision and way. It's almost, have you seen those senses when it's by by doors that open by automatic senses or pressure pads? It's as you know, drawn out, they open up. The moment we call on Him, the doors open for us to enjoy Intimacy. The gift of righteousness enables us to walk with our heads held up high. Righteousness helps us to have heads lifted up towards him. See, guilt, shame, and condemnation always cause us to be bowed down. Guilt and shame you are always down, always woe is me. You live with a black cloud over your life. But when you become righteous conscious, You can look up. The Bible says in Psalm 34 verse 5, Those who look to him, their faces are radiant and not covered with shame. Their faces are radiant and not covered with shame. See, there's a huge difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the enemy. Conviction is very specific and clear if I thought something or said something or had a wrong attitude or motivation, the Holy Spirit will say, uh-oh, Wally. And right there and then I stop. I say, Father, I'm sorry. I receive his cleansing and I move on. But condemnation is where you've got this guilt and shame and wallowing and woe is me. We need to shake that off and we need to embrace his righteousness that helps us become more God conscious than sin conscious. Because too many people are self-conscious, or sin-conscious, or devil-conscious instead of God-conscious. Through righteousness, we begin to reign in life. That verse in Romans chapter 5 that I'd read a moment ago, God's righteousness will empower you to reign in life. God wants you not to be the victim in life, but to be the victor in life. And when we begin to reign through righteousness, there's a there's a victory we can have over the flesh, over temptation, over sin, the devil in the world that's trying to crowd it on us. We can stand up with our heads up and say no in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you this morning. God's righteousness is a gift to us. And there's two beautiful words associated with the gift of righteousness. It's called blameless and faultless. Blameless and faultless. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, Paul writes and he says that God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's a profound portion. So when God looks at us, he looks at us as complete in Jesus. Jesus. He doesn't look at all our faults and flaws and blemishes and spots and think to myself, whoa, I've got a long journey with Wally ahead. No, no, no. He looks at us and he sees us perfect and blameless and holy. It's an amazing thought. In a in book of Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 25 to 7, Paul speaks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her by the washing with water through the word so to present to himself a radiant church i love that word radiant in other words there's light emitting there's a radiance and then it continues without stain or wrinkles or any other blemishes every lady should have that verse highlighted in your bible Without stain, wrinkle or any other blemishes, but holy and blameless. You and I are the church, His bride, and I want to help you to see the way God looks at you is not with a frown or the critical eye or a judgmental eye, or a, "Oh my goodness, gracious me, it's going to take forever." No, no, no. He looks at you with such passion with such excitement and enthusiasm a number of, some of you do now have two daughters. Both of them are married. And Carla, my oldest one, about four and a half years ago so, she got married. And I think it was Shirley when, in fact, those two moments were one of my most proudest moments of walking them down the aisle to give them away in marriage. But what was so significant about it was the response of the groom at the altar. They were waiting with bated breath. In fact, I think Shirley took this picture. Brad nearly fell off his chair. (laughs) He nearly fell off his chair. There he is. You can see the picture. It was like, whoa, that's my bride. Beautiful, flawless, spotless. That's my bride. But you see, that's how God views us and sees us. He doesn't see all the stain and the mess that we're in. He sees us as holy, pure, and blameless. Now, my younger daughter, Laurel, she'd been married just over a year now. When I walked her down the aisle, Nick, her husband, he he just about lost his breath. You can see him. He goes, his jaw just drops. He holds his chin. He starts crying. We didn't get those pictures. What happened? The bride took their breath away. I want to say, you take the father's breath away. Because he sees you as beautiful, he sees you as holy, he sees you as blameless. It's nothing that we've done, everything he's done. We've just got to learn to be good recipients. Now the interesting thing about the robe of righteousness, righteousness is described in the Bible as a robe. Interesting, in Isaiah 61 verse 10, Isaiah prophesies, he says, I delight greatly in the Lord my In the the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in the robe of righteousness. He's arrayed me in the robe of righteousness. And it's a phenomenal verse to reflect and to dig and to explore into, which I'll briefly do now. Now, before Adam and Eve sinned, And disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 it says this of them. That man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It says they were both naked and felt no shame. Now some of you might be thinking, "Mm, was that the first nudist colony? (laughs) They were naked and felt no shame. I don't believe it was a literal nakedness. And I'll explain to you now. But it was, a, it was a, not a literal, but it was an expression of life lived with no masks, no hiding, no shame, no pretense. There was the total oneness in relationship with God and with husband and wife. Now you might say, well, Wally, that nakedness bit. You know, if you follow that theme through Scripture... Nakedness in Deuteronomy 28, 48 was part of the curse. Anybody that was hungry, thirsty, or naked was deemed as cursed. You read through the kings that any of the enemies of Israel, when they captured them, they would strip the enemies down and humiliate them through their nakedness. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, it says they had stripped him of all his clothes and he hung there. Naked, bearing the curse for you and for me, that we could be clothed in his righteousness. Now you might say, well, what does this robe of righteousness look like? In Psalm 104 verse 2, it says, God wraps himself in light like a garment. God wraps himself in light like a garment. And I want to propose to you this morning that the robe of righteousness is like you and I being covered in light. Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John Jesus was up there? And all of a sudden, Jesus was transformed. Bible says, what does his clothes became? Like blinding light. He was showing them in the spirit realm what he was wearing. He was right with the Father. He was wearing that robe of righteousness. That's what you and I are clothed in through and in Christ Jesus. Now, how does it all work and outwork? The amazing thing in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned and they realized they were naked, what was the first thing they did? They tried to cover themselves. When in reality, if they simply confessed their sin... They could have been forgiven, but they didn't. They're covered in fig leaves. But to me, one of the most profound portions of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, says this. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now You might say, well, Wally, what's significant about God making an animal's skins for them? It was the most merciful act of God's because God was taking an innocent animal and killing it. And blood was shed. The skin was taken and made covering for them. Prophetic that an innocent life had to be taken to cover sin. And for 4,000 years, hundreds of thousands of animal sacrifices were made. Innocent bloodshed shed. To cover sin. Until one day, John the Baptist in the River Jordan saw Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not covers sin anymore, but takes it away. That's what righteousness is all about. Is your sin's not covered, it's taken away. That's the beauty of righteousness. That's the brilliance of righteousness. It's not covered. It's taken away. The enemy would be the one that would want to count it against you. No, no. God says it's taken away. Because righteousness helps you become God conscious. Do you remember the prodigal son? When he came home in Luke 15, What was the first thing the father gave him? Was a robe. The first thing he got was a robe. And then sandals. Then a ring. He was saying your old life is gone. Those, those smelly rags of the pigsty. It's gone. Let me give you the robe. Prophetically symbolic of a divine exchange. Our filthy rags for his righteousness. See the gift of righteousness. Which bringing us into right standing with God. Is being saved, which is a moment, it's an instant. But righteousness, gift, needs to be outworked in the fruit of righteousness, which is right living with God. The two go together, you can't separate them. In the book of Philippians, chapter one, verse nine to 11, Paul prayed this profound prayer. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound More and more. So that you may be able to discern what is best. See, righteousness helps you to discern what's best. That your knowledge may abound, etc., etc. That you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And then he makes this profound statement. That you may be filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Christ Jesus. To the glory and praise of God. See, now, what you might say, what's the fruit of righteousness? The fruit of righteousness is the result of being right with God. I don't know about you, when I first became a Christian, I lost more than half of my language. (laughs) I really did. I worked for the customs and excise in Durban. And before I was a Christian, I had a stockpile of papers, books, and pens. From from Customs and Exile Stationery Department. I was a thief. I come to faith. And all of a sudden, I'm busy writing my devotion thoughts on the paper (laughs) that I had stolen. (laughs) So God and I devised a plan that I would sneak all the stuff back into the stationery cupboard, and nobody else would know, and all would be cool and good. And I was about to do that. I had a whole packet. I was bad. I had a whole packet. And I remember as I was going there, I just felt the Lord saying, oh, Wally, you need to confess your sin. Otherwise, it's just going to be covered and goes back into the closet. So I went to Mr. Giles, who was my senior. And we always, in those days, we had to call them, sir. So I said, sir, I need to see in your office, please. So I went to the office and very sheepishly I said, sir. I've stolen the stuff and I need to return it to the stationery. He looked at me and he said, Wally, don't worry, everybody does it. (laughs) And I said to him, well, for me, I cannot because I'm a Christian. And I've come to personal faith in Jesus. And that's not how I want to live my life anymore. See, when you've received the gift, your life starts to change. Not because... It it just—you want to because you want to live a life pleasing Him and bringing Him glory, with thoughts, with attitudes, with motives, with humor, with the things you watch. We we found we watch so much less on TV and DVDs. I remember going to the—I said said to the lady, "I'm looking for a a, a DVD that has no sex, no swearing, no violence." She says, "Try the kiddie section." It just isn't around. Why? I don't want to sit, because I'm watching, he lives in me, he's the righteous one, I don't want him to watch that stuff. But you know, it taints us, it pollutes us. It messes on the inside, that when we want to worship God, we cannot go that further and that deeper, because we're baggage. The gift, there needs to be the fruit. Now you might say, Wally, that's legalism, no, no, it's not. I would like to give you some scriptures. They're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. It says, if you know that he is righteous, the verses in the beginning, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. To me, one of the most profound um, moments, a number of years ago, some of you might know this couple, Gavin Ange Benjafield. Wonderful couple there. there. He's... Works in Amsterdam, the soccer club overseas. And there were a couple that were living together. One Sunday, she, I don't know if dragged him here, or I'm not quite sure how it went. But he got dramatically saved. God invaded his life, forgave him the gift of writing. It was within a week, he said, Wally, I need to meet. I said, sure, Gav, we met together. He says, the way I'm living is not honoring and pleasing to God. I'm moving out, and we want to get married. See, the gift was starting to bear fruit. Today, they are counting big for God. They are moving forward in leaps and bounds simply because the gift has been translated and there's fruit that bring glory to God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Now, are we perfect? No. We're sinless, yes, but we ought to start sinning less. I believe the excuses that we make for internet porn and other things, oh, the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak because you feed the flesh. If we begin to feed our spirit with righteousness, truth, and God's word, we'll become strong and be able to resist temptation. Oh, I've just got an anger issue. I've just got a lust issue. I've just got this issue. We need to address it with God's word and become strong. 1 John 1.9 has a wonderful verse to encourage us. When we do miss it, when we do sin, we can confess to him and he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This morning, I'd like to conclude with a few thoughts to assist and help you. In my BC days, I used to fish. BC days before I came to Christ. I used to fish. Fishing was my idol. It was my life. It was my everything. I belonged to a club called North Coast Angling Association. I'd come home. Maybe if you could not put that slide up. I'd come home and on a Friday, and we had a, a weekend fishing trip away, either in Ponderland or up Cape Vidal, Sidwana Bay, and I'd be picked up half as 2, 3 o'clock. I'd have all my tackle, I'd have my bait bag, and that was it. The clothes I was wearing, that was it. We'd travel four, five of us in a bucky or a four-by-four, and we'd arrive late on a Friday night, and the first thing we'd do, make a fire and start fishing. And you're catching the fish, and you're having such fun. Now, let me just give you an illustration of how we fished. We'd have sardine and squid and mackerel as bait. And because when the fish are biting, you're focused on catching fish. You're not focused on cleanliness or hygiene or nothing. So you're baiting and there's the blood and you just go like this. And then you run down to the beach and you catch the fish and you do it, and you bait it up again. And then this becomes all crusty after a day or two because we only took one pair of... Chi- and we fish Friday night, you fish the whole of Saturday and you finish about two o'clock on Sunday then you've got to head home. So after this becomes crusty, you're going like this. And you know what? All the time, none of us, we all did that. You never go, yoh. Because we all smelled the same. We would drive home, get home, and I'd see my mom there, and she would say, hey, what fish you caught? And the moment you saw it, she says, get away from me. Get away, get away. I said, mom, what's the matter? She says, you smell, you stink. I said, no, we don't. You see, we'd become so accustomed to it. You couldn't even smell it anymore. Couldn't smell it anymore. And my mom would say, "Strip and I'd get it." And she wouldn't even put those fishing clothes in the washing machine, but she didn't want it to pollute all the other clothes. It was like a big, scary nappy bucket. She'd throw it in there with Jake and everything else, and soak it. So good. And eventually, it goes into the washing machine. And then I'd go for a shower, put clean clothes on. Then I walk in, I go, "Man, there's something that smells, yeah." So it was only after I'd showered, washed, put clean clothes on, could I smell the fishy, smelly clothes. I want to say you and I have been clothed in righteousness. Jesus paid the highest price for us to be forgiven. Let's not go and wear our smelly stuff again. We cannot, church, if we're going to be this radiant church, the hope of the nations, the hope of the world... God is wanting us to begin to bear the fruits of righteousness. That's the outworking of the gift of righteousness. My oldest daughter is a fashion designer. Last year, she won a Young Designer Award, and next month, she's going off to New York's Fashion Week. And you know, since Carla and Laurel, they were teenagers, they were young. Those have got daughters, and they move into their teenage years you will discover all sorts of strange things happening. One of which, they will stand in front of a closet of clothes and they will say, I've got nothing to wear. (laughs) I've got nothing to wear. Almost traumatized. And then i would say, love, but what about the clothes, clothes, the dress we bought last week? Oh, I've worn it once. So having worn it once makes it old, And there's something you cannot say to you this morning. God has a cupboard full of amazing Trinity designer wear for his church, his bride. And he wants us to begin to wear it with pride. He wants us to wear it with pride. What is it? In Luke chapter 24 verse uh, 49, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you are what? Clothed. With power. I love that verse. God wants to clothe you with power so you can say yes to him, whatever he calls you to do. That you can say no to the devil and no to sin and temptation, but yes to him. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 and Colossians three, twelve says, clothe yourselves with Christ. How many of you know that? In fact, it says clothe yourselves with patience. How many of you need to know that that when the taxi comes and cuts you off, quickly do that button up of the patience of Christ? In Ephesians, the spiritual armor, it's, it's a profound thing. And each one of those emblems are Christ. It's Christ, it's Christ. And lastly, it speaks in the Gospel of Luke. It says in Luke chapter 12 verse 35 Be dressed, ready for service And keep your lamps burning I believe the lamps burning is part of our witness In the world for Christ Is understanding the gift of righteousness And bearing the fruits of righteousness Which is right living before God I do believe this morning The enemy has stained Many of you with shame and guilt You need to shake that off. No matter what's happened, the cross is enough. No matter where you've been in life or what you've done, the most horrendous, heinous thing, the cross is enough. The righteous Jesus died for our unrighteousness to bring us back to him. I want to say to you this morning, he, I believe, wants to remove the stain of shame, but he wants to help you become more God-conscious in life. He wants you to become more aware of Him. Becoming more sensitive to Him. The things we laugh at, the things we watch, the thoughts we think, our motivations, are they pleasing to Him? He wants to empower us to live lives pleasing to Him, fully surrendered to Him. Now what I'd like to do, I'm going to ask the guys on the sound desk to play that song again. And there's some of you that are going to be making first-time commitments to Christ. And we want to celebrate that. He's going to give you that gift of right standing. Standing with your heads up to Him. And there's others where sin has besetted you. Sin has got a snare around you. But He wants to break those shackles. and that's, He wants to see you set free. I don't think we need to make that I'm only human excuse. No, the Bible says greater is He who lives in you.